You're listening to the podcast for Asbury United Methodist Church. Join us every Sunday for worship at 8.30 or 10.45. Find out more at asburybosier.org. Well, good morning. It's good to be here with you uh, today. I'm just going to give you fair warning. Uh, I'm a little distracted today because my family leaves tomorrow to go to England. Uh, and I am in charge of all the travel arrangements and all the planning and all the what are we going to do today and how are we going to get there and the plane tickets and the train tickets and the reservations and the confirmations and all those things. Uh, so on top of packing my bags, which I have not even started doing yet, uh, I also have to make sure that I have all of those things before we uh, hit the road to drive to Dallas tomorrow. So if I lose track and lose my train of thought or if my sermon is just horrendous, just you know, offer uh, forgiveness and grace. Uh, this they are. You, yeah, well, you said it. Um, so this morning, <laughs> this morning we're on part two of what it means to be a holy nation. And so we began with the basic idea of, all right, what does it mean to be holy? Let's start there. And then we've been talking about what it means to be God's set apart people, to be God's holy people. Last week, if you were here, we talked about what it means through the lens of the Old Testament, through the people of Israel, to be a people that God had led out of slavery in Egypt and toward a promised land. And we read about where God chose Moses from among them and God called him on holy ground to lead them. And as they arrive at the foot of Mount Sinai, God tells them through Moses, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I brought you to myself. If you obey my voice and if you keep my covenant, you will be my treasured possession, a priestly kingdom, a holy nation. And in that moment, in that place before a holy God, they say, we will do everything you have said. And they mean it in that moment. But we know the rest of the story. By the time we get to Deuteronomy, an entire generation has been lost in the wilderness because of their unfaithfulness. And they've now been there for 40 years trying to find their way. And Moses reminds them as they're about to finally enter the promised land that God goes before you not because of your righteousness, because you are a stubborn people. God goes before you because God loves you. And because God keeps his promises. So this morning we're going to look at this idea of what it means to be a holy nation through the lens of the New Testament. And what that might mean for us. So our text for this morning is from 1 Peter chapter 2 verses 1 through 10. Let's hear these words. Rid yourselves therefore of all malice and all guile, insincerity, envy, and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Come to him, a living stone, though rejected by mortals, yet chosen and precious in God's sight. And like living stones, let yourselves be built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, See, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put 
to shame. To you then who believe, he is precious. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the very head of the corner. A stone that makes them stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people, in order that you may proclaim the mighty acts of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. In the 1960s, there was a TV series called Batman that you might be familiar with. Surprisingly, it only lasted three seasons, about 120 episodes, before they pulled it off the air. Why it's so popular now, I fail to understand. But in the TV series, Batman's sidekick Robin was renowned for his one-liners about something being holy. Things like, holy bunions, Batman. Or, holy hole in a donut, Batman. Or, holy Cinderella. A couple of years ago, uh, a company called BuzzFeed ranked all 359 of Robin's holy sayings in the TV series in order. Now, I don't know who has time or energy to do that, but, but that's what they did. So I wanted to share with you this morning, because this kind of blew my mind, I want to give you the top five. I'll, I'll leave the other 354 to you to look up for yourself. In at number five, and this might... Uh, you might remember this from, from last week. Number five, holy guacamole. Remember that from last week? It's one of the top Christian cuss words that you're allowed to say. Number four, holy here we go again. Uh, it's not funny. Number three, which I don't understand this one at all. So if anybody can explain this to me out in the lobby after the service, I would appreciate this greatly. Number three, holy knit one pearl two. Y'all know what that means? Is it just me? Yeah? You can explain it to me later. At number two, this one is good. Holy contributing to the delinquency of minors. <laughs> I like that one. Now, this is the number one, right? Number one, I might have spent more time researching this this past week than I did my actual sermon because I have no, I had, I now know, I had no idea what this means. And I wanted to make sure I wasn't saying a bad word in church. At number one of Robin's 359 holy sayings from the 1960s TV show, Batman, holy astringent plum-like fruit, Batman. Right? I see your faces. What does that mean? So here it is. Right? The, the episode, and I think it was actually the last episode of the series, there was a, a persimmon juicer. And so this, this is in relation to the persimmon juicer because persimmon is an astringent fruit, kind of like a plum. So that's why he said that. You have no idea how long it took me to understand that's what that meant. You're welcome. <laughs> so in talking about what it means to be holy, 
because none of those things are holy, and guacamole certainly is not holy. In talking about what it means to be holy, Israel is called into a covenant relationship with God, bound by this law that is given to them at Sinai that will define for them what it means to be holy through that relationship. Through that covenant relationship with God, they will become a holy nation if they listen to his voice and obey what he has told them. Yet through the story of the Old Testament, we see this cycle over and over again of God pouring out his love for his people, God's people rebelling against that love, and then God calling them into repentance and forgiveness, and God begins the cycle again of calling them his people, and so it goes on. When we get to the New Testament, we get to the Gospels, we see something different. If you remember Mary's response to finding out that she will give birth to the Son of God, she says, the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is his name. In the testimony of John the Baptist, John tells us he came to baptize with water, but one is coming who is more powerful than me, and he will baptize with the Holy Spirit. Remember when Jesus went out to the wilderness, he's tempted by Satan, and Jesus holds on to his relationship with God and says nothing is worth breaking this covenant relationship with the Father. And so in Christ, God is revealed as a human, as an infant. We'll get to that next week when we begin the story of Advent. Human yet perfectly divine demonstrating for us the way in which we are to live as God's people, as holy people. In what's known as his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus paints this picture of what this new kingdom that is coming, that he's bringing in, is all about. And he says things like, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, blessed are the pure in heart, blessed are the peacemakers, and we know these verses. And then Jesus tells us, I have not come to abolish the law or the prophets. In fact, I came to fulfill them. Do unto others as you would have them do to you, for this is the law and the prophets. Everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain will fall, the floods will come, the wind will blow, but it will not fall. This is what it means to be God's holy people. The one who is perfectly holy calls us into relationship to imitate him, to do what he has told us to do. When John Wesley was at Oxford, he and three or four friends were getting together three or four evenings a week, and they would pray, and they would study, and they would take food to the poor and visit people in their homes and in prisons. They would teach orphans to read. They would take communion. They would fast. And they developed this list of 22 questions, which some of you might be familiar with, that they would ask each other to hold each other accountable for whether or not they are really living into their calling as being holy people. Questions like, can I be trusted? Does Christ live in me today? Do I pray about the money that I spend? 
Is Christ real to me? And because of this radical lifestyle, they were called by outsiders the Holy Club as a way of mocking them for this lifestyle that they were seeking to live. But for John Wesley, holiness was a big deal. As Israel traveled towards the promised land, Moses tells them, God goes ahead of you not because of your righteousness, not because of anything you have done or can do, but because of his perfect love, his perfect grace, his perfect mercy. And just as God went ahead of them, Jesus goes ahead of us. He says, I've gone to prepare a place for you where at the end of this race we will rest in the very heart of God for all eternity. Yet, if we're honest, we are just as stubborn as Israel was. At the foot of Sinai, God tells them, if you listen to my voice, if you obey my commands, you will be my people. And they respond in unison, we will do everything you have said. Yet how many times in our lives do we find ourselves at the foot of the cross? How many times do we find ourselves seeking forgiveness and reconciliation? And God again pours out his love for us and calls us back to himself and offers us redemption. And through the process of confirmation, through baptism, through profession of faith, we too say, yes, we will do everything you have said, Lord. And in that holy moment, we mean it too. Now, generally, and, and, and don't stampede me, I'm not a huge fan of the King James translation of the Bible. Okay, I'll just put that out there. You be you. Not my favorite thing. But in our reading this morning, we find language like God's special possession, God's own people, a sense that we belong to God. And that's certainly great language for us to hear. But in the King James translation of these verses we read this morning, it says that we are to be a peculiar people. It's the only translation that I could find that uses those words. And while it may not be the most accurate translation from the Greek, it might be the more fitting understanding of what it's trying to say. Yes, we are set apart by God. We are chosen by God. We are certainly God's people that are called to imitate Christ, to be holy. But in living out that calling, just like it was for John Wesley, it might make us seem quite peculiar. That we are not designed to be like the rest of the world. We are intended as God's people to be different, to be set apart, to be holy. I've shared this before, but it's worth sharing again this morning for anyone who may not have heard it. I did not grow up in church. In fact, I didn't step foot into the church on a Sunday morning until my mid-20s. Largely because up until that point, I had many friends, colleagues, family members that went to church. But their lives were exactly like mine were. And I won't go into details here and now this morning, but in my early 20s, there wasn't much holy about the way that I was doing life. I didn't understand the logic of anybody who would want to get up on a Sunday morning and go to this building where people sing and they pray and whatever it is that they do, but yet my life is no different. I'm doing all the same things as people that don't go to church. 
So why would I bother to do that? Because it's the right thing to do? What changed for me was when I began to encounter people whose lives were different. They weren't perfect, but they sought to live a life of serving others, of being kind, of offering forgiveness and mercy when it wasn't deserved, and oftentimes I was the recipient. It took me a while to understand why they were living life the way that they were. But Christ showed up in my life not because I went to church, but because God's people were imitating Christ. And it led me to ask questions. And it led me into the doors of a church. And before long, I was surrounded by people who loved me and pointed me towards Christ so that I might also grow in that faith. When we stand at the foot of the cross, we understand what God has done for us, and we begin to see the full expression of God's perfect love. A love that seeks after us no matter how far down the wrong path we might have traveled. God's perfect grace that welcomes us with open arms. As people who were once lost but now are found, were dead but now are alive again. We find God's perfect mercy that understands our humanness and loves us anyway. Holiness on display for us to the point of death, even death on a cross. Shake off your old self, says Peter. You're made new in Christ, so grow into your salvation. Let yourselves be built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. Why? So that you can proclaim the mighty acts of a holy God that has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For once we were not a people, but now we are God's people. Once we had not received mercy, but now we have received mercy. So how might we tell people about these mighty acts of God in each of our lives? What's your story? How might we be more like Christ today than we were yesterday? How might we be God's holy church. And if we have nothing else to offer, I invite you to be peculiar and offer them Christ. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious God, we give you thanks for all that you have done in each of our lives. Let our story be told. May we give you glory in all that we do and all that we say. May we seek to be holy as you are holy. May we seek to be more like Christ who you sent to us to redeem us and to show us what it means to offer perfect love. Which he offered to us even to death on a cross. And it's there that you meet us and you call us out of darkness into light from death to life. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.